Today, here on Cincy Business Talk with Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. We'll be talking to business leaders about how they have grown their businesses and people. We discuss new strategies, tactics, and philosophies which lead to positive growth in our marketplace. Our program is sponsored by Sandler Training by Roth & Associates. Each week, we'll talk with our best Cincinnati area top executives about their tools and insights. Our regular listeners will be given the edge that will help them win in a competitive environment which we live. Simple solutions to complex problems which challenge all of us are rarely correct. We will address complex problems or opportunities with appropriate solutions. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at MikeRoth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400. Now your host, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer, Mike Roth. Thanks, Scott. This is Mike Roth. I'm here with Mike Kelly. Thanks for joining us today, Mike. You're welcome. Thank you, Mike. Before we get started, I thought I'd let our listeners know what's coming up next week in a couple of shows. Next Thursday, we have an extremely interesting show with the CEO of a company called Lear Capital. They're based in uh, Santa Monica, California. And Scott Carter is their CEO. He will talk to us about precious metals and how investors should have precious metals in their portfolio to protect themselves from things like inflation or the government printing too much money, or as the people in Cyprus who have money in their accounts, in their banks, wish they had had gold coins hidden under their beds, which the government couldn't seize. After Scott, and that's a really interesting show, we're going to have John Morris. He is the president of a group called the Associated Builders and Contractors of Southern Ohio. This is a merit-based group of construction contractors and builders. So he's going to talk from a perspective of merit-based as opposed to union shops, and he's going to talk about the pluses and minuses, and he's going to talk about some of the programs that he offers his customers and services, which is an extremely interesting show. The following week, we have a Transportation Week, where on the 4th of April, I'm going to have Alan Bernstein, the president and owner of BB Riverboats and the Mike Fink Restaurant. Alan is going to talk to us about riverboat cruising, his long excursion, all-day journeys that he's uh, developed, his special programs for children, as well as uh, the current status of the Mike Fink Restaurant and where he is on getting that restaurant back up. And the second show in the transportation series is Ryan Mitten. He is the, I guess you'd call him the sales director of Ultimate Jet Charters, which is runs the Ultimate Air Shuttle out of Plunkin Airport to Chicago, Charlotte, and New York. Great idea. Have you ever taken that one, Mike? I have not. Great I, idea. I probably should, though. I hate the hassle at airports. Great idea. Doing real well. Either in April, we're going to have Sister Jean Bassett the president of the DePaul Christo High School. She runs a high school for a private high school for kids, and they can earn a large portion of their tuition by being in their work-study program, which I thought was a really great thing. And then we're going to have an entrepreneur on at the end of the month, Ben Moore, who owns a company called Agent Technologies. They developed a an ERP system, a, C, a CRM system, and it's got several other interesting and cloud-based solutions. So let's tell everyone a little bit about Michael Kelly. He likes to describe himself as a organizational development executive, leader in developing and executing programs and processes to achieve human goals and organizational excellence. Wow, those are big words, Mike. Today he's a 
the Vice President of Learning and Development and a division board member at a leading Fortune 1000 company in the Cincinnati area. Uh, before that, he was in the he was the director of learning development in that company. Before that, he was director of sales development, management, major accounts at the Michelin Tire Company. I'm sure no one's ever heard of them. And then uh, he was a manager. He worked at Fleet Contract Management. I guess that's how he wound up at Michelin. Yeah, I was actually Fleet Contract Management. That's one of the roles that I held while I was with Michelin, a mm-hmm. company that took me through a number of different positions. And, and I will say that my experience with them was a significant part of my growth as an executive. Mm-hmm. And you grew up in South Carolina? Absolutely. Sherrall, South Carolina, a small town that most people have never heard of. But I always say it's not too far from Myrtle Beach. Oh, a lot of people have heard of Even me have heard of Myrtle Absolutely. Beach. Absolutely. Never been there, but heard good stories about it. Mike has a uh, an MBA from Webster University of Columbia, South Carolina, and he has a, a BS with a management concentration from Mars Hills College in Mars Hills, North Carolina. And you were named to the National Blue Ribbon Commission for the college in 1990. Uh, currently, he's a, a board member with the Greater Cincinnati ASTD. That's the American Society of Training and Development. The advisory board I serve on. Yeah. Okay, that's good. Mm-hmm. Once upon a time, I went to one of their meetings. Yeah, good organization. Yeah, it's better in some places than others. Mike is a member of the Mason Deerfield Rotary Club, uh, where he served as the president a couple of years ago. A couple of years ago. And you're on the uh, National Advisory Board for your alumni, Mars Hills College. And the, uh, you're part of the Ohio Southwest Ohio Regional Workforce Investment Board. I'm not exactly sure what that is, Mike. Yeah, it's a, an organization in this region that really helps people who are unemployed get work. Mm-hmm. Uh, not only get work, but help them develop the skills and, and the characteristics necessary in order to be effective in jobs. And, and that is funded by local and state governments. Is that kind of like this uh, Workforce One? Yes, but it's for Cincinnati, Northern Kentucky region. Oh, so it's a regional? Yeah, it's a regional regional board, and I'm co-vice chair of that board, and I serve on the executive committee as well. Oh, that's great. That's great. Well, the, the first question I typically ask people is tell, tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you got here, which is, you know, today's subject is your leadership journey and how you got here. Growing up in, in South Carolina. Yeah, I grew up in South Carolina many years ago, mm-hmm. and I grew up in a family of six people, mm-hmm. oldest of four kids. My parents never finished high school. They were actually pulled out of school to pick cotton in the South many years ago. I was the first in my family to graduate from college, very thankful of that, and I always had goals. I read a lot, studied a lot, and I always had goals. I always wanted to be a banker for whatever reason. I guess I just enjoyed, when I walked into the bank with my mom, the smell of the money and 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 watching the bank operate. But I always had a love for people, a love for leading people. I ended up getting a full scholarship. I was a pretty good basketball player in high school, and I was fortunate enough to get a full scholarship to college. Mm -hmm. And that worked out really well during my time there. I I started out as a pre-dentistry major, being an athlete, traveling across the state and and the region. It was very difficult to keep up labs, so I ended up switching to business as I thought back to my experience walking into banks. Mm -hmm. And I ended up graduating with a degree in business, which was wonderful. And while I was there, a gentleman, the president of the college, took an interest in me, and he and I met frequently. 
but he ended up inviting me to a national blue ribbon to join a national blue ribbon board, national blue ribbon commission. When I graduated, knew nothing about that, and I said to him, Doctor Bentley, I don't have his name was Doctor Bentley. I don't have any experience. Well, I don't have any money to give. He said that's not what it's about. I want you to do this. So I actually did it, and that really introduced me to service. And I had an mm-hmm. opportunity to get to know people who were really serious about service. These were leaders, business owners, um, who really understood the importance of giving back. And that has stayed with me since that time. But since I left there, graduated, and I worked for in the textile industries for an organization. Then I moved to a role in the safety and a safety manager type role with uh, waste management type company, and that was mm-hmm. BFI at the time, which has since been purchased by other companies. And I also got experience as a independent claims adjuster with a company. Okay. And then Michelin, Michelin actually found me, Michelin North America, and I joined them as an operations manager in a manufacturing plant. And that started a great journey for me from a career perspective, leadership perspective. Mm-hmm. I ended up going into an organization, French-owned company, knew nothing about the French technology, the French terminology, but I had to learn, and I also had to lead a small team of people. I took over a small team of people, led that group, and got promoted into an HR role. And from there, I was introduced to a number of different projects. But also, I had an opportunity to get exposed to finance while I was I was there. Mm-hmm. And I also got exposed to international project management work. But during this time, I focused even more on growing as a leader personally, mm-hmm. even before I focused on leading my people. So that's something that's been a mainstay in my life, working harder on myself than I do other people mm-hmm. in my job, which has allowed me to develop skills that really have allowed me to be a, a better leader and make a contribution to my industry and also the world. See, there was about a 10-year span between when you graduated from college before you got your uh, master's degree. Yes. And part of that was I wasn't really looking to get my master's degree. I felt that my bachelor's would be just fine. Sure. But as I gained more experience and as I became hung more, I guess I would say hungrier for more, mm-hmm. I, I was motivated to go after my master's degree. And I also worked with a guy who had cancer at the time. He was working on a master's in business, and he was my boss. He challenged me to think on a broader scale. And the company also offered a really, really nice tuition reimbursement a plan. A lot of those have gone away now. I actually, yeah. actually took advantage of that and ended up getting a business degree, and I'm thankful that I did it at the time. I look back on it, and it has helped me greatly. Uh, it's broadened my understanding of business. Mm-hmm. And I often encourage others today to pursue higher education, get as much as you can. But it's, but not only the education, self-educate yourself, read books, attend seminars, go to Sandler training, find ways to continue to improve and grow as a leader, as an individual. Good. Well, thanks for the plug. Absolutely. Sandler training has made a lot of people a lot of money and, and helped grow in companies. And in Sandler, like a lot of other businesses, there's a difference between what I do here and what some other people do that isn't quite as good. I'm really interested in in accents and in, in listening to you speak, Mike. I can't hear any South Carolina on your accent. Did you work on getting rid of it? I did not. I'm very proud of my South Carolina heritage. Over time, I guess I just, I don't even think I've lost it. When I go home, I'm sure it comes out. Okay. My wife tells me that it, that it does. So it's not gone anywhere. I don't know, Mike. That's a really good question. I know. I, I go back to New York at least three times a year to get my accent reinforcement booster shot. <laughs> Got to learn how to say 33rd and 3rd all over again, you know. But we're going to be right back after a short commercial break. What we do is we listen to the story of the new tip club. And this is 
Jimmy Fox talking about the tip club. The next tip club meeting that I'm sponsoring here in Cincinnati is Thursday, April 18th. Hi, I'm Jimmy Fox of Tip Club. Tip Club is a professional networking organization whose members help each other succeed. We meet once per month and provide a forum where business-to-business professionals are able to connect with more desirable opportunities and build long-term strategic partnerships. I'm inviting Cincinnati Business Talk listeners to come to our free networking event. You'll have the opportunity to meet new people, share leads and referrals, and grow your business through strategic alliances. Membership in our Cincinnati group is open to only one person per specific trade or occupation. Business-to-business professionals only, please. We do not accept multi-level marketing or recruiting-driven memberships. This is our only group in Cincinnati. We'll meet on the third Thursday of the month from 7.30 to 9 a.m. at Sandler Training by Roth & Associates, 4357 Ferguson Drive, Cincinnati, Ohio. If you'd like to reserve a seat, please go to www.tipclub.com and click on the events tab. Then just scroll down the list of events until you come to the Cincinnati event. Or you may call 1-800-798-0270. That's 1-800-798-0270. Thank you, and we look forward to seeing you on the 21st. Mike Roth. I'm back with Mike Kelly, and Mike has agreed to take questions, which we'll be able and we'll be able to screen callers during the next commercial breaks. So you went back to college to get your MBA, and what did you notice that happened to your career after you had the MBA? The fortunate thing for me is that I had work experience when I went back to get my MBA, so I was able to apply some of the theory that I learned in the classroom back on my job. I found that it broadened my thinking, but also it gave me more of a desire to get a broader perspective on business. That led me on a journey of making sure that I sort of touched all the bases when it came to different types of experiences. Mm -hmm. The finance piece, I already had the operations, getting some HR experience as a generalist, getting into marketing, and then I, I actually got some experience in an area that I think everyone should get exposed to, and that's sales. I spent about eight years in a sales role doing uh, B2B sales, making cold calls and working with business owners. And I'm in a learning and development role now. Responsible was that in the tire business? That was in the tire business. And that was one of the, I would say, the most valuable experiences that I've, I've had. Mm-hmm. Because I find that right now, even though I'm not in a sales role, I'm constantly selling myself or selling ideas in, in my current role. Mm-hmm. So it was a very important thing for me. I, and again, as I would say, as I said, Going to school actually made me realize that it was important for me to have a broader perspective on business so that as you take on higher-level roles, you can identify with the various business partners, either internally or the customers externally, that you're interacting with. So you're a director of learning at the company. I am a vice president of learning and development at the organization that I currently work for. I've got Mm -hmm. about 118 people, and we... We're broken down along the lines of an instructional design team that designs training material, an e-learning team that builds e-learning modules, which is really the wave of the future, virtual learning. Mm-hmm. Well, Sandler's got a, a a load of interactive training. 
Absolutely. Uh, we're using uh, a system based on Cornerstone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've actually just kicked off our Sandler certification program so that our clients can be certified at the bronze, silver, gold level in various sales competencies and or sales management competencies and or negotiating competencies, which is really a a big step forward. It's much better than saying we have 400 hours of uh, material. Absolutely. And it's a very efficient way to train people now as opposed to taking them off of their jobs and putting them in a classroom for days. You can give them learning where they are in many cases. Mm-hmm. And and it's, it's short bites from time to time, but all, and reinforcing that. But the, the the e-learning team actually designs that for us. So the facilitation team we have, and, and we've also got a team called Stores Loyalty, where they actually go around to the stores and train our sales managers and associates on things that are important. Okay, well that's good. You have 108 people. 118 people, and I and I'll tell you, Mike, I've never worked in the learning and development role six years ago until six years ago. So for me, again, there was an opportunity to learn something new and different. And the thing I like about this role, though, is that it allows me to live up my personal mission, mm-hmm. which is to use my God-given leadership and analytical skills to help my family and others grow to become all they're designed to be. And also, while doing that, that's well said. hit the bottom line. Make sure the bottom line is sales and profitability right, are results of doing it the right way from a leadership so, standpoint. of your 118 people, how many are based here in Cincinnati, and where are the rest of them? I've got 45 here in Cincinnati. The others are spread out across the country in Tampa, St. Louis, and Phoenix. Mm-hmm. So you got the whole country covered, in some respects. Well, electronic, we got the whole world covered. Absolutely, uh, great, great group of people. That's good. I enjoy people. I enjoy leadership, and this is gives me an opportunity to exercise a lot of skills that I've gained over the years and help people grow and achieve their dreams. A few years ago, probably seven or eight years ago, Sandler embarked on a project we call internally global accounts uh, to solve the problem for trainers like me who have an account based here in Cincinnati and salespeople all over the world. I just wound up with a, a guy who's got a thousand salespeople scattered all over the world with 300 in China. About the last thing I want to do is train people in China or Stuttgart. So through our global accounts team, we have 13 people who are roadies that will go wherever they're needed. Uh, But more important, we're enrolling and certifying Sandler trainers to train in their home city for global accounts. So if I need someone in Stuttgart, I know I can count on Gabby to do the job especially well if the training is in German. Very important. It's very hey. important to have a global perspective these days. Hey, uh, a few, you know, this is probably 10 years ago, we lost a, a, a project at Johnson & Johnson because uh, we developed it here in Cincy, and they wanted us to train in Paris in French. And we said, no problem. And I pulled out our guy from uh, Quebec, and we, we sent our proposed piece over there, and it was promptly rejected because Quebec French wasn't Paris French, and that wasn't good enough mm-hmm. for the Johnson & Johnson's people in Paris. 
So today we'd win the job because we have people there. I think that's fabulous. I, I was exposed to the international business side of things when I was with Michelin North America doing work in Europe, a lot of work in Europe. And it just for me reinforced the importance of having that global perspective when it comes to business because it's not just U.S. anymore. It's not just the U.S. Yeah, we have about 25 countries now in global accounts where we have full-time Sandler training locations and we have translations into the colloquial language of, of that location. You know, uh, I guess the first country Santa went into was Canada. And you know, I guess everyone in Canada knew what American baseball was. No problem, right? And then they went to England. And it turns out you had to translate American English into United Kingdom English to work successfully over there. Because you couldn't say baseball. They knew cricket. Uh-huh. And when we talked about football, they know soccer. So there were different games and different stories had to be developed. So there was a translation. Uh, and Global Accounts handles all of that for us so that we're in the in the right area. Um, That's a good point. I, my team now, we spend some time over in parts of Asia mm-hmm. doing doing work as we've offshored some work and it's so important to understand the culture, not only for the people here, but for the people that you're relying on in those, those other countries. It's important that they have a, some perspective on American culture, especially when they're dealing with American customers. Right. right. I had, uh, I don't know if you know Dave Doherty. I don't. He used to be the CEO of Convergys, the the good uh, call center company. And he started when he left, he started a new nonprofit called Education at Work. And he's onshoring customer service work by hiring college students and putting them in Norwood, paying them a fair wage, and he's competitive with the Asian call centers. And he's partnering with colleges uh, all over this area and then all over the country to provide American logic and American-speaking people to be customer service agents. Um I believe your company is uh, is one of Dave's clients. An innovative idea. Hey, he got together with Jack Cassidy, and Jack Cassidy essentially gave him a call center in Norwood to use with about 300 seats. Tremendous capitalization. Absolutely. And it's a nonprofit, and it's helping the kids. And the idea is that if they stay with the, the, the work-study program, uh, they will graduate from college not owing a dollar in tuition. That's fantastic. Yeah, because if you work the hours, you not only get your, your, your weekly paycheck, but you get credit towards a bonus towards your tuition, which is paid directly, kind of like that 401k money. They can do that. And you learn skills that tra- translate over into the world of work after you graduate. Those skills will be attractive to employers. Bingo. Extra um, experience. And at the same time, allowing you to walk away from college, not owing a tremendous amount of money. So I thought it was a great idea. Uh, I brought him on because I'm a product of of a work-study program in New York City when I was in college. Ah. And uh, I worked for Mayor Lindsay. Hmm. Tells you my age. (laughs) Uh, So, 
back to your your journey to leadership. Uh, what do you think the obstacles were that you had? For me, initially, I would say early in my career, the obstacle was that I didn't have a model of business leadership uh, early on when I started my my job. I would also say that, as I found over the years, there are very few true leaders. I heard a statistic a few weeks ago that only 17% of leaders are effective, which Mm. means that most of us will never see a model of a good leader. So for me, not having that model, having to really make a lot of mistakes and learn from those mistakes, being a person who was humble enough to ask for feedback from the people I was leading, getting that feedback and acting on it, Mm-hmm. was something that was helpful for me. And that, and it, the hurdle for me, again, was not having the models or, in some cases, in the world of work, having the right type of mentors. Some of the mentors I saw and worked with early on were people who were focused on themselves. It really wasn't about the people. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. about do things for me so that I can look good, so that I can get the next bonus or the raise and, make, and the next promotion. And people were not uh, really motivated by that. A lot of people, they quit and they were still on the payroll. <laughs> and I also I love the way you put that yeah, quit and still on the payroll. On the payroll, and I know you probably saw the same thing years ago. Autocratic styles of leadership. Mm-hmm. The autocratic style of leadership was prevalent. Oh yeah, and I saw that as well. But I did not. That didn't register with me. My parents didn't raise me that way. My parents raised me to treat other people the way I wanted to be treated. So for me, not seeing the model of strong leadership, uh, and the other thing too was not really working with people who understood the importance of working on yourself and making sure that you were getting the feedback and you were doing the things to be the type of leader that people followed because they wanted to, not because you were trying to force them to, or right. not to just get a paycheck. Right. Uh, early in my career, I had the opportunity to work for a fellow named Bill Von Meister, a name you probably never never heard of. Have not. Um, he's long gone. Uh, but he was a charismatic technology leader. He made things work. He made things work out of nothing. Uh, He was an inventor, and he built companies. And I guess I worked for him in four companies, sometimes two companies at the same time. Mm -hmm. The guy was terribly inventive. Um, The biggest company that we worked on together was a company called TDX that became Cable and Wireless. In America, almost a billion-dollar company. I was the fifth employee there. Learned a lot from Bill. And after Bill left, he invited me back to uh, McLean, Virginia, and he said, I'm going to start on this new thing. I'm going to show you this thing, an 8008 Intel computer for online gaming using the Telenet, which Mm -hmm. became the Internet. I looked at it. I was living in L.A. at the time, and I said, Bill, this venture is just a little bit over the wall. I'm going to stay in L.A. So I stayed in L.A. And then he hired a guy named Steve Case. The company became AOL. Ah. Wow. Early in the process, yeah. uh, Bill died of cancer. Mm. But he was a great idea, man. He, he, he was one of those charismatic leaders. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember the first building he bought for the company. It had a... Uh, like a 200-foot microwave antenna on it. It was the tallest antenna in McLean, Virginia at the time. And so I said to Bill, what's the antenna for? And he says, oh, Mike, I don't know. It just came with the building. We don't use it. 
cheaper just to leave it there. <laughs> Seemed like a good idea. <laughs> Turned out it was in, in August thunderstorms in McLean, Virginia, Washington, D.C. area. It was a tremendous lightning rod. Oh, wow. You've never seen anything until you've seen a, a circuit card and an uninterruptible power supply that you could put your fist through because the lightning went through. And zigzags in the stairs uh, where the lightning traveled down the staircase. Oh, man. He was, was an unbelievable building. He was an unbelievable guy. Uh what do you think are some of the characteristics of a great leader, Mike? I would say there are many. And self-awareness, I would start with self-awareness. I think that's so important. But I also think it's important to be socially aware. Mm -hmm. Be someone who's aware of your environment, the people that you are with mm -hmm. leading or the people that you're working with or the person that you report to, being aware of, of those individuals, the culture that you're in. But again, it all starts with self-awareness. Be aware of yourself. Be aware of yourself. Be aware of how you are uh, impacting other people. Hopefully it's positively. Mm -hmm. In many cases it's negatively. But I think that's important. I think it's important to be a good communicator, someone who listens. By listening, you can get a feel for whether or not you need to, to work on something. Good. Asking good, good questions, being open to feedback, and, and uh, then acting on those things. Someone who pays attention to detail, someone who develops people. There are a lot of different things that I could say. I could go on and on and on. We're going to take a, a short commercial break here. We're going to listen to a Sandler commercial. This is Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. At the first sign of trouble, there are three types of business leader. The first type of leader is like a turtle. He pulls his head and tail in and hides in his shell. Turtles hunker down, just trying to survive. The second type of leader is an opportunist. They're like eagles. Eagles spread their wings and take advantage of the winds. They catch the storm wind and rise to new heights. The third group, between turtles and eagles, are called turkeys. Turkeys are average and anxious. They huddle together and move. They never saw. However, turkeys are easy prey for those who seize the opportunity and soar. If someone in your industry goes out of business, are you going to get the business? The question is, which type of leader are you? Will you seize the opportunities to take market share and grow, or will your fate be like the turkeys. If you're serious about growth, call me to arrange a confidential meeting, 513-646-6523, or check our website at rothconsulting.net. Hi, this is Mike Roth, founder of Sandler Training by Roth & Associates, the most experienced Sandler sales trainer in Cincinnati. You've heard our commercials about sales and sales management, but you haven't made the call for some reason. Maybe you're having your best year ever. Maybe you think a sales development company won't work in your industry. You're different. I wish I had a nickel for every time I heard that. Maybe you're afraid that if you called, you'd buy something. If you're happy with all your sales and profits and believe you have all the answers or simply don't see yourself investing in yourself or your people, then don't make the call. We have nothing for you. For over 20 years, we've been coaching, mentoring, business owners, and sales professionals who are serious about their careers. So if you believe that Sandler Sales Training might make you better, faster, meaner, and stronger, call me at 513 646 6523. Or register for our next open house. Roth & Associates, the most experienced sales trainer in Cincinnati. You can check us at www.rothconsulting.net. This is Mike Roth. I'm back here with Mike Kelly. Mike, if uh, someone has a question for you after the show, how do you want them to get a hold of you? Well, I think feel free to call me on my cell phone. That number is 
800-242-2527. Good. Before the break, Mike, we were talking a little bit about leadership. Let's continue that down that line. And let me ask you if you could give our listeners, other CEOs who are listening, one or two additional tips about leaders, how to be a good leader. I would say start with being others-focused. Certainly be self-aware, work on yourself, but really focus on people because when it comes to results or having a strategy and all those things, being strategic, and I, I was just this morning I had an opportunity to give a talk on being a strategic leader. But the thing that I kept going back to is the fact that you can have a perfect strategy. And as you develop that perfect strategy, it's going to be important to have give your people the opportunity to give input. But if you don't have your people really involved in executing it, and if you haven't given them the opportunity to give you input, it's just not going to work. So being someone who's really focused on people, having results orientation, absolutely, that's important, that's a given. Uh, strong interpersonal skills, being able to connect with other people, being able to get an understanding of what's important to other people, what makes other people tick. That's very important. Sometimes in the heat of the battle, it's easy to lose sight of that, but it's very, very important. And what I see oftentimes is that many people, leaders, like to focus on details, tasks, and when you do that, it's really easy to lose sight of people. Being a good delegator, being someone who trusts people, you're going to develop them, then you're going to give them the opportunity to make things happen. And when they make mistakes, it should be a learning experience. Mm-hmm. I like to teach people that uh, you hire people to do a job, you train them to do the job, recognize that you could do the job better than they can, and hope that they succeed, but allow them to fail to learn. Absolutely. And if we trust our people as leaders, gives us the opportunity to look three years down the road, five years down the road. Where are we going? What do we need to be doing today to get us there? So often if we're too deep into the, the weeds, we lose sight of that. And that can end up being a problem. We're not developing our, developing our people. We're not planning for the future. And at some point it all comes tumbling down. So should a good leader be assertive or aggressive? I say assertive. Aggressive was the old autocratic model. Mm-hmm. I was reading a book the other day, and in the book, the author says that it's important that we have the skin of a rhino, but the soul of an angel. Mm. So have a nice balance. Certainly hold people accountable for results, but make sure that by the same token, when they're doing things right, you are reinforcing that positively. Mm-hmm. I learned more about rhinos yesterday with Thane Maynard than I ever wanted to know. <laughs> Apparently, these, these Sumatran rhinos that they they have over in the Cincinnati Zoo are the most finicky eaters imaginable. <laughs> they don't, just don't graze on hay. Yeah. They eat specific trees and tree leaves. And, Mike, i got one other thing I'd add, too, around this leadership piece. Mm-hmm. I think it's so important not just to focus on, as a leader, work. I think we have to be balanced in our lives. And we've got to focus on those other areas that are important, are important, our health, our family, our finances, doing some things from a leisurely perspective, friends. I, I just think a lot of those things are missed. And as a leader, and I was in this space at one point in my life where I focused solely on work. I was driven to kill it, bring it home to my family. Mm-hmm. And I didn't take care of my health. I did not take care of my family and to the degree that I needed to. Uh, there were a lot of things that went missing. And that's not good either because as a leader, what you do off the job has a serious impact 
of how successful you are on the job. Well, it's, it's both. I mean, there was a three-year period in my career where if you asked me where I lived, I said it's the back of a 727. I was one of those guys who was in four cities in the same day before all the checkpoints and security. <laughs> but uh, you have to have balance in your life. Absolutely. And one of the things that happened in my life that opened my eyes to that early on in my career, a guy who was a mentor literally worked himself to death. That's a long story. I won't go into it. Wow. But he, he just his focus was on work and and he did it in a way that he really neglected himself in many respects. And and the health side of things really ended up getting him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah. if he were here today, he'd tell you that. He was a wonderful man. I just couldn't see it. Yeah. I I find that in some of my guests for the show, uh, without using names, and they say to me, Mike, you know, it's not unusual to work 70 hours a week, some hours, some weeks more than 80 hours a week. And that goes a long way towards breaking people down. I agree with you. And I think, too, as I mentioned this morning when I was giving the talk, so often the companies that we work for, the organizations that we own, when we're out in the community and we're talking to people in the American culture, so often we're asked, what do you do? So if we're not whole and we're sharing what we do, who we are, it's a reflection on the organization that you own mm-hmm. or that you lead. So it's important to be whole, not only at work, but also in our the rest of our lives, our families and our community and, and other aspects of life. I think people are looking for their leaders to be a real and, and honest with them. Absolutely. It's, it's great when the news is good, but when the news is bad, a good leader's got to deliver the bad news too and Absolutely. come up with the action plan to take the organization up to the next level. It's the leaders who put their head in the sand. Those are the ones where in this in this marketplace the company gets sold. They find, the second generation finds out that it's uh, too hard to run the company. And... Uh, the company disappears or gets sold to a larger conglomerate. Um, what do you think uh, the possibilities are in this marketplace for people to grow as leaders? I think the possibilities are incredible. I think that there are so many tools, so many programs, so many organizations out there that are available to help individuals grow. Personal and professional growth really is a responsibility that each of us have, and we it's not something that we should delegate to someone else. We should own it. Mm-hmm. Self-education is critical. And you've got, worst-case scenario, you've got libraries that have books, they've got tapes, they've got all sorts of things. But a lot of people don't have a library card even. So just taking the time to go read, make decisions around things that are important to you and, and taking action is important. Sandler training again. If you're if you own your own organization and you want to strengthen your sales skill skills, call Mike. Uh, or if you are looking to, I would say if you're looking to to improve the quality of your business, go take a class somewhere or go talk to someone who's done that very very well, and have them buy buy them a cup of coffee and let them share how what worked, what didn't work, and maybe give you some ideas on things that you can consider. Join an organization like Rotary. Absolutely. Rotary is a great organization. You know, for that. You know I was sitting at Rotary uh, had a uh, uh, a day where we didn't meet at the downtown hotel at the, the Hilton where we normally meet. We met at the um, 
Eric Kunsel High School and School for the Performing Arts, and there were about 100 Rotarians at the meeting. Randomly, I sat down next to a lady in Rotary who I know who uh, shared with me she's looking for a new uh, new job. And I thought for a minute, I said, hey, send me an email tonight, and I'll give you the list of four or five people I know that told me in the last week or two that they're looking for someone new like you. Now, had I not gone to Rotary, I wouldn't have been able to help her if we accidentally weren't sitting next to one another. If she hadn't gone, the information I had in my head would have gone away in another week. So uh, we're going to take a uh, another short commercial break. Again, if you have a question uh, for Mike Kelly, 646-595-4916. We're going to listen to uh, a short conversation I had with Tom Manning. Tom and I are going to be doing a marketing program uh, in April, May, and June. And uh, let's listen to Tom and, and me talk about the, the program. Mike, I'm so excited because we're finally going to give the medium-sized company, company that's between $1 million and $20 million in revenue, the marketing and sales strategy that they've been looking for and needing for years. We're going to help them do it in just three days. Day one is going to be talking about sales and marketing strategy. Day two is tactics. And day three are action plans, helping you figure out how to get it done. And in a bargain price, too. I don't know about you, Mike, but I normally charge $5,000 for a marketing plan. How much do you charge for a good sales plan? It's not unusual to see figures like ten dollars or $15,000. Exactly. Well, because this is invitation-only, private, hands-on workshop that we are doing for business owners and presidents and CEOs, that we are actually limiting the participation to just 25 companies, and they're going to bring their existing marketing and sales materials with them. Then we're going to show them how to improve their marketing and sales strategies, tactics, and action plans over the three days. And it's only going to cost less than $2,000. And that's including breakfast, lunch, and our personal consulting and coaching. I think it's a pretty good bargain, don't you? Excellent. Well, and to make it even easier for business owners to make it, we actually have spread the sessions out over three different months. So last Wednesday, April, May, and June. Tom, how do they find out about it? Go to marketleaders.us. Marketleaders.us is that simple. It's that simple. Go there, and we explain all the different sessions and break it down for you. And that's where you can go to register. Sign up. First one starts April 24th. Wednesday, next one is Wednesday, May 29th. And the last one is Wednesday, June 26th. After all three days, you're going to have an outline for your whole marketing and sales strategy for 2013. Tom, what should they do if they can't make one of those dates? No problem. If you can't make one of the dates, just call me directly and we'll make some special arrangements. You can reach me at 614-622-1047. Thanks, Tom. This is Mike Roth. I'm back with Mike Kelly. Mike, in the few minutes we have left, let me ask you about one of my favorite subjects. We have a theory of operation here that I've developed in my years as in business as both an employee and a leader, sales manager, VP of sales, and a company owner then. Simple solutions to complex problems are almost invariably wrong. Therefore, if you have a complex problem, you need an equally complex problem to solve it, a solution to solve the complex problem. Maybe you could share with our listeners a complex problem that you encountered in your career and the equally complex solution that you developed 
to solve that problem? There were a couple, actually. Okay. Well, that'll fill up the whole rest of the show. Well, the complex solutions are, well, I was, when I was with Michelin North America, I was asked to take on a couple of pretty big projects. Mm-hmm. One was to develop a an 18-month rolling forecasting system for North America. The other was to come up with a new channel distribution for North America. Complex problem. Mm. Forecasting. Yeah. How many, how many tires are you going to need? How many tires you're going to need, and how do you get them from here to there? And then a quickly, new ch- a new channel of distribution. A new channel of distribution. Coming up with something that didn't exist Whoa. in order to differentiate ourselves. That's tough. Well, a lot of it was around analysis, taking a look at the current state, taking a look at what's working based on what we had in place right now. Mm-hmm. Strength, weaknesses, opportunities, threats—that that sort of thing—and talking. That meant I had to talk to a lot of people. And that mm-hmm. wasn't complex, but it was. It took a lot of time mm-hmm. because these people were all over North America. So I gathered a lot of data on both of those projects, and I ended up working with the team on the challenge distribution because it was a much bigger project, but uh, or the 18-month rolling, rolling forecasting system. But gathered a lot of data and analyzed the data over a period of time, and you start to see certain trends. And as we, the trends were revealed, mm-hmm. you started to come up with some hypothesis and had to go about validating those, mm. which took time as well. As they were validated, realized that there was an opportunity to start a pilot to see whether this not this might work. Mm-hmm. So we got approval to do that. On both of the projects, I was actually given three months to complete them. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, I had set us on a journey of success, but project teams took them over to execute. So how long did it take to do the projects? Did you finish them? Three months. In three months, I had a I had a commitment to move forward, mm-hmm. and implementation or execution teams took over, and that, that's when I had the opportunity to consider another another role. Mm-hmm. And I'd been exposed to sales as I worked on those projects, and I thought it'd be great to get sales experience, and that led me to sales. Another complex problem was the organization that I'm with now. When I moved into the organization. I saw a great opportunity to centralize the learning function. Mm-hmm. And by doing that, we could save a lot of money. We could improve the productivity, the efficiency, the quality of instruction. What was learning like before you got there? It was part of operations. It so was integrated into operations. It was location by location by location? By location by location. The people who were considered learning professionals were really operations people who performed operations functions. And then they taught the people in their particular geography. Well, they taught the people when they were needed. They put on the training hat all of a sudden. Uh, and they weren't. They didn't really understand learning theory. They didn't un- understand how people learned. They didn't understand how to really design material in a way that it would be easy to facilitate it back to people and get them to understand what you're trying to get across. I think Sandler was a genius there when he figured out that the way human beings learn is long-term positive reinforcement training. Absolutely. Not one-day uh, seminars. And he took this business out of the one-day seminar business uh, over 30 years ago into the long-term positive reinforcement model. Absolutely. And the thing I've seen there personally, I've gone to classes to validate exactly what you're saying, and I walked out feeling good, mm-hmm. feeling really good, feeling like I was going to change the world. Well, I didn't apply anything. The next day, hours later, I lost what I... Yeah, went in one ear, went out the went other. Went out the other. 
you know, the the old Tony Robbins uh, learn to walk on coals idea. Of course, I wasn't so good for some people recently, <laughs> but the uh, the first book that Sandler wrote is up there. The it's the first edition. You can't teach a kid to ride a bike at a seminar. Yeah. Uh, when he figured that out, hmm. and he started long-term re- reinforcement training, which we call President's Club, uh, we literally turned the, the world on its head in, in terms of sales training. He liked to be called the best-kept secret in selling today. Uh, he didn't want to be public. And I was among the few people that twisted his arm to get him to write that first book. And uh, one of our people in Louisville grew up with Larry King, and they said to Sandler, now that you got the book, we want to put you on Larry King to, to push the book, to help the business. And he was a private man, but reluctantly agreed to go on Larry King. A week before the book came out, he died of a uh, kidney infection. Mm. So we never got Larry King appearance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if anyone offers you a Signed the first edition. Understand that it's a forgery. <laughs> Couldn't have happened that way. <laughs> I may want to read the book though. I like the like the thought. Hey, before you leave, as an appreciation for coming in, I'll go in the back and get you out a copy of. You can't teach a kid to ride a bike at a seminar. Thanks, Mike. Still sells over ten thousand copies a year. We've had about five best-selling books on Amazon. Since we uh, we have a few minutes, why don't you tell our listeners? what you think companies are looking for in the form of employees today. Because a lot of people are looking for new jobs. Yeah. I feel that employees are looking for people who are... Employers? Employers are looking for people who are people of integrity, people of character. Very, very important these days because you got to trust them. Mm-hmm. And also people who have the ability to help get results. People are, who are willing to come in with creative ideas, innovate, take risks, mm-hmm. and also people who are willing to people willing to get outside the comfort zone. Because everything that's worked in the past is not necessarily, there aren't necessarily things that are going to help move the companies forward in the future. So they need people coming in with fresh, fresh ideas and also people who are willing to grow, who are interested in growing, who are serious about growing. And then when I say growing, I mean growing broadly, not as, not not just deep, but broad as well. Mm-hmm. Understanding how what I do impacts the bottom line. That is so important. And being able to talk ROI, return on investment. That's something that's really important because companies, as we all know, they're in business to make money. Mm-hmm. And in order to make money, we've got to add value and we've got to help them accomplish their goals. So people who come in with that mindset, it's not all about them, but it's about being agents of the organization and being willing to grow with that organization and help that organization accomplish its goals and, and its objectives, those people do well in organizations. Yeah, I think it's a the positive, optimistic person, mm-hmm. someone who can recover from adversity rapidly. Mm-hmm. Adversity is a normal course of the human condition and business. But if you can't recover or snap rapidly from adversity, you're in deep, serious trouble. Oh, abs- Absolutely. And I think that has something to do um, with the way we're taught as as little guys. We build up records in our head. Sometimes the records are wrong, 
But as human beings, we believe most that which we learned first. So we have to grow and change as human beings. Absolutely. And I, and I like to say, too, Mike, we have to be able to realign rigorously and stay the course when we get off track. Because there are going to be times when you get off track, but you got to be able to realign. And you got to get on, get back on track and stay the course. Well, when you say get back on track, do you mean reset your compass and find the new heading and turn on the engine? If that's required. In some cases, it doesn't necessarily mean do that. It means staying, going back to where you were and doing what you were doing, doing it even better. Okay, because the track was okay. You, you might have gotten it. off track. You just yeah. fell off. Yeah. Get back on the track. Yeah. Kick on the power. And move forward. Move forward. Always keep moving. Yeah. I think the world changes around us. Uh, best example I like to uh, use for some of my clients is the Yellow Pages. For a lot of clients, I recommend not being in the Yellow Pages. We had a heating and air conditioning client who this week told me, Mike, I'm back in the Yellow Pages. And I'm st- sitting there going, oh, no, what the heck did AT&T sell this guy? He's wasting his money. And he says, Mike, I did it the right way this time. I bought on a pay-for-performance basis. Every time I get a call from their ad in, on paper, on a call from the Internet website, which they're building for me, then I pay them for that. I don't pay them just to be there. And I said, Ben, you did that the right way. Much better than the $80,000 he spent on sponsoring the weather last winter. <laughs> Didn't get a single call in a heating and air conditioning oh, company. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it, it, the world has changed. People don't use yellow. Strategy, something we didn't talk a lot about, but but strategy. Yeah, we, we use Google today. Yeah, yeah. Uh, has your your company switched to an Internet strategy? Absolutely, in a big way. Most organizations are being rushed into that because that's where everything's going. Good. Mike, again, thanks for being with us today, telling your story. And uh, we'll be back next week with uh, some new guests. We'll be back uh, talking to Alan Bernstein and uh, some others. Uh, Scott, why don't you uh, close out the show? Thanks for listening. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at Mike Roth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400.